Hello, and welcome to Archway's Western Civilization History Podcast. My name is Marie Archway, and on this podcast, we discuss the best of the West and what makes the West different from the rest. On today's program, we'll be discussing the remaining battles of the Persian War at Salamis and Plataea. Now, if you've listened to our previous episodes, you'll know that the Persians were pretty mad at the Greeks for helping with a few revolts, so they invaded mainland Greece, and they got whooped at Marathon, but then the Persians whooped the Greeks at Thermopylae. And now we're coming to the part at the close of the war, when it's going to be decided who's the winner and who's Persia. It's a dark time for the rebellion. Imperial troops have sacked Athens and driven rebel forces into hiding. Women and children flee Athens, and nobody is safe. Evading the dreaded imperial fleet, a group of freedom fighters led by the Athenian Themistocles and the Spartan commander Eurybiades have established a new co-opted navy. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, um, if Athens is sacked, doesn't that mean that they, you know, lost the war and the Persians were right all along and the Athenians are in fact a bunch of losers? But the thing is, Athens isn't a place. It's a people. And the Athenians, while Persia was sacking and burning up the Greek countryside, many of them left the city of Athens and took refuge in various little islands uh, around the Peloponnese, and even some of them just stayed on the boats. There were a few select Athenians who took the prophecy from the Oracle of Delphi. The Oracle had told them that Athens would be spared if they built a wooden wall. And so they built a wooden wall on the Acropolis. The Acropolis is a hill where the Temple of Athena is. So a bunch of the remaining Athenians stayed behind this wooden wall on the Acropolis and were promptly murdered by the Persians after the sack of the city of Athens. The wooden wall did not protect them. I guess the oracle was wrong. As we will soon see, the Greeks were not completely left without any aces to play. You see... There had been a co-opted Greek navy, and it was led by the Spartan Eurybiades and co-manned by the Athenian Themistocles. Themistocles had invested a lot of money in building Athens' fleet, and it's said that he had almost 200 triremes just from Athens, which, in the ancient world, and even in the modern world, that is a lot of boats. And very expensive. I bet it's more triremes than you have. Anyway, after the sack of Athens, Eurybiades and Themistocles were at odds. Eurybiades, the Spartan, wanted to fight the Persians on open water. He thought that that was the safest way for their ships and their losses to be the least. And... It made sense. It's really hard to sail in shallow waters by islands 
and Salamis and Attica have lots of little inlets and coves, which make it tricky to maneuver. But the Mystocles, on the other hand, the Athenian, and the person who, you know, was in charge of all the Athenian ships, wanted to fight the Persians in the narrows and the straits and the inlets around Salamis. The other Greek generals were very upset at Themistocles. They didn't want to fight the Persians. They wanted to leave. Bad plan. And they were pretty convinced about leaving until Themistocles announced that if the Greeks leave Salamis, then the Athenians aren't going to fight the battle for them and they're going to just take their families and sail to Italy and eat lots of grapes and never talk to any of the Greeks ever again. And that was enough to convince everyone to stay united and fight together. The Greek strategy can be summed up best between a conversation between Themistocles and Menesphilus another Greek Athenian soldier. Menesphilus counseled that if the other Greeks were to leave Salamis, the following would happen. If they put out to sea from Salamis, your ships will have no country left wherefore to fight. For everyone will betake himself to his own city, and neither Eurybiades nor any other man will be able to hold them. But the armament will be scattered abroad, and Hellas, the Greeks, will perish by unwisdom. Nay, if there be any means thereto, go now and strive to undo this plan, and haply you may be able to persuade your Abides to change his purpose, and so abide here. And so it was. Themistocles did convince your Abides to fight at Salamis, and that turned out to be a very good idea indeed. Now, Themistocles was a crafty man. He knew that the Greek allies were tenuous at best, and that at any moment they could leave. He needed Persia to attack them. And not just attack them, but attack them at disadvantage, in the narrow and shallow bay at Salamis. And so, he sent a good trusted servant to Xerxes himself. And the servant told Xerxes that the Greeks would be leaving and fleeing soon, so if he was going to come destroy the Greeks, he better do it now. And Xerxes, ever, ever so hungry to destroy the Greeks, took the bait. Now, let's talk a little bit about ancient ocean warfare. The Greeks lived in a time long, long before cannons or any real good ranged weapons. Boats were really long and had lots of oarsmen, usually sometimes soldiers, sometimes slaves. And the main point of it was to ram boats into each other and try to make them sink. Boats often had reinforced fronts so that they could achieve this end. And the weakest parts of the boat are basically the big long sides where the oars are. And if you can break the oars or ram the boat, make it leak, you're good. 
So Xerxes takes his fleet into Salamis, but he can't take his whole fleet. He takes a third of his fleet because Salamis is narrow and shallow and bad to sail in. And the rest of his fleet, or a lot of it, is transport ships. And Xerxes thinks he's going to win this one. Oh, but wait, the Greeks are smaller and more maneuverable and better at sailing in their homeland. And they completely... Well, they don't completely. They destroy about half of his ships. Which, as you can imagine, is extremely expensive. And you say, well, Maria, what? He's got other ships. He's got a whole other two-thirds of fleet. But this was the brilliant thing. Because so much of his actual battle fleet had been damaged, he had to retreat back to Persia because the transport ships would be sailing unprotected and you can't have unprotected transport ships when you're in a war a foreign war and so tons of troops and supplies and everything had to be shipped back to Persia and Xerxes was pretty soundly humiliated and defeated. So Xerxes returns to Persia. But there were still Persians in Greece. You see, like me and my dear brother slash co-podcast host Doug, Xerxes also had a co-host, and by that I mean a co-general ruler guy, and his name is Mardonius, and they are brothers. And so upset, so upset, Mardonius was so upset that Xerxes went home and just lost really, really bad at Salamis, that he wanted to teach the Greeks a lesson. He wanted to give him a little taste of Persian pride. And so, the Greeks and Mardonius's remaining army of Persians met in the town of Plataea. It might be said that Mardonius was a little bit less full of rage than Xerxes, because Mardonius actually explored the possibility of making peace with the Athenians. He sends King Alexander of Macedon. As a side note, Macedon is a... They're Greek, but a lot of Greeks kind of view them as a country bumpkin kind of people. Not not the highest quality Greeks, but still technically Greek. Anyway, side note. King Alexander of Macedon goes to the Athenians with a peace officer. And all the Athenians have to do is surrender to Persia, and they'll get autonomy, and it'll be great. And King Alexander, the Greek, kinda, says it's gonna be great, and Mardonius says it's gonna be great. But honestly, the thought of being under Persian rule sickened Athens a lot. And Athens, even though they were being pandered to, they decided to use this to their advantage. And the news of this was used as encouragement to get the Spartans to fight with them. And so the Battle of Plataea starts. 
After the refusal of peace, and after the Greeks had camped at Plataea, Mardonius and the Greeks began to play a little game. Mardonius would send his cavalry, the Greeks would come out of the foothills a little bit, and fight, and skirmish, and then they'd go back. One thing that the Greeks did have going for them, despite, again, being fewer in number than Mardonius, and being less well-trained than Mardonius, was chariots are no good unless it's flat, and Greece is full of hills. So, they were at a little bit of an advantage there. And they kind of go back and forth like this for a while, and eventually both sides become static for eight days, and not too much fighting happens. Eventually, the Persian cavalry began to raid the different Greek camps. And finally, on day 11 of battle, Mardonius, the Persian general, holds a cancel for war. And his son suggests that they withdraw to Thebes, where, you know, there are no wars and there's supplies and the Greeks can just fall apart while they eat food in Thebes. And Mardonius said, son, that's a terrible idea. We are going to attack the Greeks, and we're going to do it right now. The Greeks eventually received some privileged information from none other than King Alexander of Macedon, who was, as you remember, working for the Persians. And he told them about the Persians' plan to attack them, and the Greeks said, oh, okay, we'll do some switcheroos so we make our lines better. We'll move the Spartans away from the Persian line so that way the Athenians, who have experience beating up Persia, can fight them. And apparently that psyched out Mardonius quite a lot, so he started moving stuff in lines, and then he ended up not attacking. The Greeks were running out of time, and they were running out of resources, and they needed to make their move soon. So Pausanias, the Greek general, started moving the army in such a way that he could surround the Persians. The Persians took this as a good thing and were very excited to attack the Greek army. However, they were not prepared to attack the Greek army. In fact, the Greeks, not only were they standing united in spirit, as different city-states with different cultures, but united as Hellas, or Greeks. But they were also united shoulder-to-shoulder as hoplites. Hoplites are the Greek formation. There's nothing more Greek than a hoplite. It's essentially a bunch of foot soldiers, and they all have big shields, and they all have really long spears. And it is super hard to get through one of those things. Let me tell you, because the shields make them very impervious to arrows and spears and that nature, and the spears keep you from getting even close to them, so you can't even engage with them in melee combat. They're very difficult. Not to mention, spears are also quite stabby, and they will get you. What's amazing about the Greek hoplites and the phalanx, which is a formation of hoplites, is that phalanxes are incredibly versatile, and each soldier 
covers another soldier with his shield. So it's a brilliant example of trust and teamwork to be in a phalanx. Everyone trusts each other in a phalanx. And these Greeks were ready to die. And the Persians were not. And after some very brief and aggressive attempts on Mardonius's part, he decided to retreat and went back to Persia, and Greece was free. And when I say Mardonius decided to retreat and go back to Persia, I did misspeak a little. He didn't really make that decision. That decision was made for him after his skull was bashed in by a rock. The other Persians decided they had had enough and went home. Well, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the program and our complete series on the Persian Wars and why little Greek city-states ended up beating a super big, rich superpower. If you'd like to learn more about Persia or Greece, I recommend some of the sources I used for this episode, such as Livius.org, which writes commentaries and summaries of Herodotus, Herodotus himself, and the project Hestia. Hestia is a digital humanities project which maps the works of Herodotus. So if you are confused about some of the places today, or just want to learn more about Greek history and maps and stuff like that, you can head on over that. There will be a link in the description. As a side note, Remember how I said the Oracle of Delphi was wrong? I don't want to get any hate mail from you guys. The Oracle of Delphi was not wrong. You see, the whole wooden wall thing... Okay, the wooden wall didn't protect the Acropolis. What gives? Why didn't the wooden wall work? Thing is, she didn't mean that wooden wall. Obviously, she's not wrong. She meant a wooden wall made out of ships. Yeah, that did work. That was the Battle of Salamis. Yeah, wooden ships. That's what protected Athens. That's the wooden wall. Anyway, thank you so much again for listening. And that's history. History.